0: This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast, episode number 67.
1: Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating
0: your wealth, and taking control of your money.
1: Now, here's your host,
0: Cornell Schreiber. Hello and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. Today, we're going to cover two main subjects. The first will have to do with best practices when it comes to sticking to your investment plan. It's easy to do so when the markets are doing great and we're seeing double-digit returns like we did in 2019. But what about when we're experiencing things like a rapid 30% decline, which we've experienced in early 2020 due to COVID-19? So to help us discuss this, I have Brendan Wood on the show, who is one of the founders of Passive, a Canadian fintech company that builds tools for DIY investors like myself. And I'm a, basically a huge user of the So Brendan grew up in Newfoundland. He earned a master's degree in robotics and eventually switched to software engineering as a career. And Passive, his company, started out as a personal app that Brendan used to manage his retirement investments and eventually evolved into a global investing service. So I really wanted to talk to Brendan about Passive as it's a tool that I use at least once a week to accurately track my investment portfolio and see how it's doing. It's a huge time saver for me as it lets me see all my investments in one place instead of constantly having to add up the totals for each of my seven accounts just to see how my portfolio is doing as a whole so just to give you some context in case you're new to this whole do it yourself investing typically what happens is every person who's investing themselves is going to have typically three different accounts you'll have your tfsa You'll have your RSP. And generally, if those two are maxed out, you'll also have your taxable account, also called a non-registered account. So that's three accounts right there. If you have an which so if you have kids, you should be investing in an RESP as well. So now you're up to four accounts. Now, if you have a partner also, then they will have two to three accounts themselves. So they'll have a TFSA, they'll have an RSP, and they'll have a taxable account, also known as a non-registered account. So essentially, you're dealing with seven different accounts. And so if I wanna know how my investments are actually doing as a whole, I essentially have to log into my account, log into my wife's account, go into each account, add up all the totals in the spreadsheet just to get a total so it's not fun it's annoying it's manual uh, labor essentially that you have to do just to know hey how's my portfolio doing how 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 much cash do i have in my accounts That those dividends got issued how many dividends did i get so it just because it's really annoying thing and so what i like about passive and the reason why i've been using it now for quite some time is because it's all integrated with quest trade which is who i use and so i basically get to see everything all at once by just logging into one account which is my passive account and I see everything and I get all the reporting and all of that. So uh, I'm a huge nerd when it comes to efficiency. I love that stuff and that's what Passive does. So what's also really neat is that if you've taken my investing course, then you know that I supply spreadsheets that you can use to help automate the rebalancing of your portfolio. Well, what's neat about Passive is that they actually automatically calculate how much you should buy of each of your investments to get back into balance. So you don't actually have to use a spreadsheet anymore for your rebalancing if you don't want. So I like to use it to basically double check on my work. So it's super helpful if you do like using spreadsheets too. And one of the big reasons that I wanted to have Passive on the show again is that it's actually recently become available for free if you use Questrate. So they were always free for the basic account, but if you wanted some of these really cool premium features, you basically had to pay. But now you can get them all for free if you use Questrate, which is also, and Questrate is also free and it's who I use and and who I recommend anyway. So it's a pretty big event (laughs) where you basically get access to all of this uh, for free now, whereas you used to have to pay for it. So, you know, at this point, it's basically a no brainer to use. And it gives you the reporting and automation you don't get through Questrade. So it's pretty awesome in that regard. And in a way, it gives you a lot of that automation that you get through RoboAdvisors without having to pay the higher fees that RoboAdvisors advisors charge. So you know, I'm definitely a big fan of that, especially now that you can get access to all the features for free. Uh, so if you wanna check them out, I definitely encourage you to check them out. It's over at getpassive.com. Passive is spelt without the E at the end. Or if you're having trouble remembering that, you can just go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash passive, and you can spell that with the E without the E. That's just automatically going to forward you to getpassive.com. And then to get those premium features for free, basically, you just have to go to getpassive.com. You sign up for the free account, and then you just follow the prompts to connect your Questrade account to passive, and then you just accept the upgrade offer, and you're essentially done. Whereas, if you're an existing Quest Trade user, just go to getpassive.com, you log in, you get a free account. And then, if you see that you don't have all the premium features, just go to settings. And then, in that subscription panel, you'll see a button where you can basically click to get the free upgrade. So, that's it. So, that's essentially how you get all the premium features for free now, as long as you're with Quest Trade. All right. And before we get into it, I also wanted to give a quick announcement that I've taken over the Canadian Financial Summit and I have free tickets for you. So the conference is 100% online so you can view the talks from anywhere. It's specifically for Canadians. It's taking place in September and I'm bringing on over 25 Canadian personal finance experts to share their best practices to help you retire early, invest better lower your fees, pay less on taxes and help you learn the best practices when it comes to personal finance and investing so that you can hit your financial independence number years earlier. That's really the main objective for me is if you're able to quit your job or just do whatever you want because you've hit your financial independence number. If you're able to do that years earlier, then basically I've done my job with this conference. And so collectively, the guests have hosted over 600 podcasts. They've wrote over 20,000 blog posts. They've been featured in hundreds of media articles from major news and financial publications in Canada, such as the Globe and Mail, the Financial Post, Global News, CTV, Yahoo Finance, and many, many more. So because I'm running it, I get to give away free tickets to the entire event. And so to get them for free, when I release them, all you have to do is sign up anywhere on buildwealthcanada.ca. So that's just the main site, the main podcast site. So that's buildwealthcanada.ca. And that way, if you sign up there, I have your email and I can basically send the free tickets to you when I release them. And also as a bonus, when you sign up, you'll also immediately get my PDF guide on the other top personal finance and investing tools that I use in Canada. So it's all free, and all you have to do is sign up anywhere over on buildwealthcanada.ca. All right. So I look forward to seeing you there. And now let's get into the show. All right, Brendan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Cornell. So Brennan, I'm excited to share how I use Passive just because it saved me many, many hours at this point and it makes checking up all my investments really convenient. But I'm curious to hear from you how others are using it selfishly, just in case maybe there's some cool feature that I don't even know about yet (laughs) because I really want to learn everything I can just in case I'm missing something. Uh, But but yeah, everything I've been using so far has been been fantastic. So are there any uh, features or use cases that you see being used most often by your users?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, the obvious one is, uh, you know, probably what you're using it for as well. It's like the headline feature is running your own balanced portfolio inside a brokerage account, right? That's what it was designed to do, and it was designed to do it with ETFs. Um, It can do it with stocks as well, uh, but most people, they focus on the ETFs because that gives them, you know, the broad diversity that they're looking for in their assets. So that's clearly the the number one use case, uh, but there is a lot more to it than that, Right. So, one of the things that surprised us when uh, we built Passive originally was that um, a lot of people actually had stock picks in their portfolios as well. So, when we built when we built it originally, it was like, well, you know, people are just going to hold ETFs and they're going to follow the couch potato portfolio exactly, and they're not going to make speculative bets, and it's going to be very simple, you know. And a few months after we had launched the product and we had a little bit of data on how people were using it, we found that people were actually picking stocks on the side. Um, and it was a problem for our app because we built it around the assumption that they wouldn't be doing that, and so we were always saying, "Oh, well, you should just sell that stock because it's not a part of your target portfolio." You know, right, right, and yeah. So, and so, 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 that, so you the, built
0: it assuming that, or, or, or like for the ETF index investing purists like myself, and then, but yeah, but the reality is that a lot some people like to take that from what I've seen, like you know, maybe five percent of their portfolio and just use that for speculative type investments, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So I we like to call that core and explore. So you have like your core portfolio of balanced ETFs and then a few speculative picks on the side. Um, and that's, that's fairly common. Probably about a third of passive users um, do something like that. And it was something that we had to kind of scramble to address in the early days because um, for that segment of users, passive just wasn't working for them at all. And so that was like a really interesting use case that we found. And so now we support that fully. You have the ability to exclude assets from your portfolio so that they don't get included in the calculations. We just pretend you don't have them, and they can, you know, you can put money in there, and uh, we ignore it.
0: Okay, that's great. Yeah, because if you if you're making a speculative bet on a stock, then you don't want passive always saying, "Hey, you're over," you know, "you're over or under your target," because you're just trying to hold that thing and, and and hoping it goes up. You don't want it to totally affect your i guess your core strategy right yeah exactly it's kind of like a separate thing right yeah yeah i guess it can be useful because i know one one practice i've heard is that you also don't want to have too much of your portfolio weight in any single stock like i think it was if i remember correctly five percent is kind of like the the best practice that i've seen Mm -hmm. uh and so if, if at least passive i guess would tell you that but you also don't want it always like bugging you every time that stock fluctuates right yeah exactly yeah
1: Okay, so go so ahead. That, that <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's probably one of the most interesting things that we found. Like one of the first aha moments when we were building this is like, okay, people aren't all purists, you know, and so you yeah. kind of have to account for that. Um, in terms of the balanced ETF investing stuff, like that was kind of the original use case, and allowing people to exclude stocks is really just reinforcing that you're able to do this while doing your other thing on the side. That's fine, you know. Uh, but really, the you know fast cash allocation and rebalancing is is. The core use case that people have for it. So people will log in, they check their account balance, they see if they have cash, and uh, we make it really easy for them to um, apply that cash to their account. And so the default way of doing that is we buy the most underweight assets in your portfolio, which means that we're sort of like doing this continuous rebalancing thing that's always moving you closer to your target as best we can. And uh, you only, uh, you know, I, I actually, as a passive user for years. I didn't have to do a full rebalance on my account up until this whole COVID disaster a couple of months ago. Right. And that was the first time when the markets went out of whack enough that I actually had to sell some things in order to rebalance.
0: And by full balance, you mean actually selling something and buying to rebalance exactly, as yeah. opposed to just buying with new cash that you have from your job. Yep. That's okay. Right.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. So um, one of the features that actually helps with that is uh, drift notifications. So, um, one of the metrics that we have in passive is your portfolio accuracy. And that's kind of the most important thing you would want to pay attention to. So you set your target portfolio and we compare it to your actual holdings and say this is how uh, accurate you are on you know a scale of 0 to 100%. So 100% being you're perfectly accurate and there's really nothing for you to do. So you can set a threshold that says if your account accuracy drops below, say, 95%, um, we will detect that and fire off an email to let you know hey, the markets have shifted and you've fallen below this threshold, which you set for yourself, you might want to log in and decide if you want to sell some things to rebalance or maybe just put more cash in to make up the difference. For
0: sure. Yeah, I, I really like that feature. I find it really useful. And and usually I don't get those notifications because the portfolio doesn't drift so Drastically, um, but with this whole COVID thing, we did have—I I did have that trigger on my end, and I remember getting that notification from you guys saying, "Like, hey, by the way, you're actually off your allocation now because of the craziness that's been that's been happening." And, and I like that, right? Because it—it's it, it, like a push notification, so it's because you know, it's easy to forget when we're all busy to rebalance our portfolios. But this way, it's a reminder saying, "Hey, you're you're off." And I remember, yeah, actually taking that email and saying, okay, let's let's rethink this. Let's actually focus on this now because, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it is a significant thing for managing your own portfolio 100%. Yeah, definitely.
1: In terms of uh, other use cases people have, so on a smaller scale, people will do things like they'll group their accounts together to manage them more easily. So um, instead of, like if you have, say, a, a tax-free savings account and an RRSP, um, instead of managing them separately, in passive, you can merge them together as a single portfolio and set one target for both of them. And it it kind of like manages them together and makes sure that as a whole, they meet that target. And so it just kind of gives you fewer things that you need to really worry about. So in my case, I have uh, six accounts and uh, they're not all for the same purpose. So I kind of group them by purpose. There's like my kid's education account. And so that's one purpose with its own target. And that's a target that will adjust as we get closer to them needing the money. And then there's my retirement assets, which is pretty much everything else all grouped together. And so it makes it really, like, I really just kind of have to pay attention to the two portfolios and act on on that basis.
0: That's great. I'm I'm smiling as you're saying this because I have my structure the exact same way. (laughs) So so I'm glad that I I decided to structure things the same way that the, you know, the the, the lead developer of Passive is structuring his. So that's good. (laughs) I'm glad I'm using it the same way you are. That's great. Uh, But that's right, because the RESP, so for your kids, that, should be treated as its own separate portfolio because it has a totally different purpose and and it that's very has a very different use than your retirement portfolio, so you do want to treat those separately and so yeah, I have it the exact same way where we have seven accounts in total so uh, TFSA, RRSP, taxable account, both for my wife and I. So that's six, mm-hmm. and then plus the RESP, the family RESP. So um, yeah, so I have it the exact same way, where all of everything for my wife and I, those six accounts are together, grouped mm-hmm. as one, so I can see, I can just track it as one, which is great <laughs> because I, I don't know any other software that lets you do that um, in that kind of way, and that efficiently. And then the RESP is its own animal that you're basically managing. So yeah, it's great. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and you, you kind of touched on it there, but like linking accounts from family members and spouses as well It's like, it's part of the same sort of thing, right? Where we're trying to make it easy to bring it all together as much as possible. So I have the same thing with my wife. She has her own RRSP and her own tax-free savings account, but I'm kind of the one managing the money, right? So um, they're just linked to the passive dashboard and it's seamless as far as I'm concerned. I don't need to log into her Questrate account in order to manage it separately, right? It's all part of the same thing.
0: Well, that's huge. I mean, that's my one of the things that got me totally hooked on you guys initially was because... And maybe someone that's totally new to all this, I feel like maybe they might not know the... how awesome this is but just to give (laughs) just to give an actual example so when you have like let's say you're with quest trade like what myself and you use and you want to check how your portfolio is doing holistically so just for for your spouse and for yourself well you need to log in to basically so first i would log into my account i would have to get the totals for each of my accounts so rsp tfsa taxable then i'd have to log out go into my wife's, do the same thing. And then basically you add all the numbers up in the spreadsheet. And then, okay, now you've got the grand total to see how your portfolio is doing. And, and then for myself, like I like to do really like the high security thing. So I have the the dual authentication uh, thing, right? Where you, you get texted the code on your phone in order to log in. So it's like, you want that security. So I do that, but it makes it even more of a hassle to log into two accounts and add everything up. So the whole big thing with passive is that you don't have to... Do that uh, in terms of logging into both accounts and adding everything up. You basically log in, and right at the very top, it shows you that grand total right away. So you know you hear about the markets dropping or rallying. What you want to see what kind of an impact that had on your portfolio? Well, it literally takes you seconds to pull up versus the old way. The way I used to do it, I mean, it's just it's annoying, and (laughs) you don't want to do it because you have to keep logging in and you know manually adding things in a spreadsheet. So it's it's great. It makes things super convenient. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of
1: the things you touched on there is like checking your portfolio value. Right. And that's, that's something that we've kind of like struggled with internally of like how easy should we make it to watch your own performance, you know? And the reason why we struggle with it is because in my opinion, it's kind of like, Antithetical to passive investing to pay too much attention to your performance, especially on like a day-to-day basis. Right. The whole idea is that you know you're investing in a broadly diversified index that represents the market as a whole, and you know your boat's going to rise along with everybody else's. So it doesn't really matter how things are going on a day-to-day basis. So should we make it too easy for people to see how they're doing things on a day-to-day basis? And it sounds kind of strange to be like, well, maybe we don't want to tell people how they're doing. Uh, But um, the point is that it shouldn't really matter, right? But so having having that uh, that value up at the top was kind of like one of the first things uh, we sort of like compromised on and said, well, okay, we'll show people what their total account value is. We'll make it easy enough to see that, but maybe we don't want to make it too easy to drill down, you know? And maybe we don't want like flashing green and red lights everywhere telling you whether you lost money on a daily basis, you know? Right. Because it's, right. it's not really relevant for a passive investor. That's Right. But uh, recently we we decided to release a performance reporting page and this was kind of like a really big step for us where we're saying, well, you know, this is um, we're doing something that we were kind of like shy about doing for a long time because it's sort of like borderline on, on the edge of like, is this something a passive investor should really be you know, right. caring about? I, I love right?
0: that you're reporting feature though. So <laughs> I, like, yeah. I just, it's just fun to, to see all that.
1: Yeah, well, and I think we did a really good job of like designing it in a way that, um, still meets the passive investing ethos, right? Yeah. So we started developing it um, probably around like December or January. And uh, by the time we were ready to release it, it was right in the middle of the pandemic. And, and it was kind of funny because we were, you know, we started building it back in January thinking, cool, people will love to see how much money they're making and we can do it in a way where it's not obnoxious, you know? That, yeah. But then when it came time to release, we're like, oh, man, as soon as we release this, everybody's just going to see their portfolios falling off a cliff. Is now really <laughs> the right time to do it. Yeah, yeah. So we, we did it anyway, but we did it with um, – we like the focus of it is is less about your portfolio performance and more about your own personal performance. And um, we kind of like break it down into like things you can control and things you can't control. So things you can control are like your contribution rate, like how frequently you're contributing, how much money you're putting in. Um, You know, are you doing this consistently and so on? And so there's like the the contributions view, which is like contributions versus withdrawals. And that is like the number one thing we show you when you come into your performance page. And then right up next to it is um, something we call the streak, which is the number of consecutive time period that you've um, contributed to your account. So it's trying to encourage people to invest consistently over long periods of time and kind of build it into a habit of, you know, paying themselves first. So that's the primary focus. Is like how are you doing at contributing to your accounts and managing the things you can control, Mm -hmm. and then the other side of it is well, how well is your portfolio doing? And that's sort of secondary. It's down below on the like below everything on the um, performance reporting page. Um, But again, we show you well. Here's how your contributions have have get done over time in terms of like here's your total contributions to date minus withdrawals and then there's another graph on it which is like here is your um, investment performance over time like how much money you've made on the whole from investment gains and so we show you those two graphs so you can barely clearly see a difference between what you're doing versus what the market's doing mm-hmm.
0: yeah i really like it it's uh i was so impressed by it because i mean I, i've seen my share of reporting tools but i like how it to me at least I've, i don't know if, i'm guessing this was intentional it sounds like you guys talk okay what's all the things that People may want to know and what's truly important and what's the bottom line people want without overwhelming them with a million stats. And then you so you basically just pick the most kind of important, most useful, most relevant information to get a really good snapshot of how your portfolio is doing. And so I I I just think you guys did a great job on being so selective in picking and choosing what to show and what not to show. Because I mean, this is investments, right? I mean, you could create like a 50-page report of stats if you wanted to. You know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, yeah. so, so get, and then people get overwhelmed more. and it's like so much of this is not relevant and now what people are going to start speculating based on this, that, you know what I mean? And you don't want that. You're a passive index investor. So um, so I just think you guys did a really, really great job. And I will say too, I mean, from if you're in the the accumulation phase where you're, you know, you're still saving for your retirement, uh, the things you mentioned are, are obviously uh, very useful. But I mean, for myself, we're now in sort of that, where we're actually living off our investments, and so I thought it was it was neat as well to see some of the information you have on there for dividends. So I could see, okay, it actually shows me automatically calculates my average monthly dividends if it was all you know split on a monthly basis, and and I can mm-hmm. say, okay, all time, how much have I gotten in, in in dividends, right? And so that I find that's useful, right, just from a cash flow management perspective. So okay, I know typically I'm going to get around this much in dividends every three months. And then, how much of my ETFs do I have to sell to make up any sort of shortfall? For, you know, from my from what I want to spend. So it, it helps me. I found, you know, as someone that's actually also living off their investments now, it was useful uh, just just for cash flow management purposes as well. And it's just super interesting, and it's really fun to have to be able to go to that all time tab and say, okay, ever since I started investing, how much have I actually made in terms of capital gains and in terms of dividends? So that's a really fun. Fun thing to see, I find as well. As long as the markets didn't just tank thirty <laughs> <laughs> percent, <Right>. yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I just I wanted to mention that. You, I think you guys did an awesome job on that. I, I'm I'm a huge fan of it.
1: Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out as well. Like it, you know, like I said, we were concerned about doing it and like doing it wrong, and I think we've kind of like struck the sweet spot, which is a nice balance.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just thought because like, I mean, there's just like I said, there's so many things you could show and it's, it's, it's such a, it's not one of those things where like the more show you show the better. Cause that, that's not necessarily the case with investing. Right. Uh, uh especially if you're a passive investor, you just want kind of, you want the bottom line. Right. And, and that's what you guys right. do So, yeah. um, is there anything else that you wanted to, uh, to mention? I, I keep sorry if I keep interrupting. I'm, I'm just so, uh, I really like this tool and you guys added all these features, especially the reporting. And so it's got me really excited. So I just keep jumping in saying how much <laughs> telling you what I like. <laughs>
1: uh yeah no i mean that that's like the the main stuff right we're trying to we actually make a conscious effort to keep the features relatively clean cut and to a minimum um one of the things that um, you know one of the reasons why we started passive is because we found our brokerage dashboards just had way too much going on and it made it very difficult to focus on you know the task of how do i actually manage a balanced portfolio on a day-to-day basis and yes. so kind of the fewer things we have the better in my opinion uh, but, you know, some things are important and we are kind of like exploring new things, but it's also, it's always like tempered by, well, are we going to make the product worse on the whole by adding all these extra features, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you want the nitty gritty, you can just, anybody can still go into their question account and pretty much look up anything, you know, and be as granular as you'd like. Uh, that So it's, everyone still has that option. Uh, but But I find usually it's like, okay, I don't want to spend two hours adding up things in a spreadsheet. I want to just kind of get the bottom line, and I want to have it for both myself and my spouse, right? I, I find that's a big thing. Because even when you look at all that granular stuff in Quest Trade, well, that, well, that's only for one, you know, it might be for only one of your accounts or for all of your accounts. But then what if you have a spouse? You have to now incorporate everything that they have too, right? So uh yeah, so that definitely a big shortcut uh, from what you guys did. Mm-hmm, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I, I can't remember if I mentioned this already, but one of my, my favorite features is... How you guys are so integrated with Questrade, and so I don't have to manually update the the numbers whenever something new happens. Uh, I find that's just such a such a nice feature. Where I because I, I used to use um, Yahoo Finance, the app that they have, um, and I mean it's a great thing, and they have great tools there as well. And, and, and but. The problem is that, yeah, you have to pretty much remember to always manually update any anytime you do something to your portfolio, whether you're buying or selling or reinvesting your dividends. And if right. you forget to do that, well, then now you're not looking at the most up-to-date data on your portfolio, which is obviously bad. So uh, whereas with you guys, you actually basically sync with you, – you pull the data from Questrade, right? So you don't have to remember now to manually make changes because anything that you actually did, you, it's automatically reflective in all the reporting you guys do. So I think that's pretty great.
1: Yeah, me too. Uh, that's like, it's almost something that I forget about because it's uh, something we've been doing for so yeah, long, right? But yeah. it's, that's, that's really one of the core um, features is not having to do manual data yeah. entry. Um, not many people know this, but um, Passive actually started out as like a manual portfolio tracker thing. Um, so, uh, back before it was called passive, it was called rebalancer. And it was like a really simple tool that, um, would allow you to enter your current holdings and set a target. And we would do the calculations and tell you, here is, here are the trades you need to make in order to follow that. Right. And nobody used it. <laughs> it was, you know, it was <laughs> probably in 2016 that, that I launched this and, um, you know, it was posted around the internet several times and people would came and come in and they would look at it and they just wouldn't use it. Hmm. And eventually I realized, well, it's because it's not really a quantum leap over a spreadsheet, right? Like, people, if you're already doing this kind of investing, you probably have a spreadsheet for it. And using an app instead of a spreadsheet to do the exact same thing is not really, uh, it's not that much better. You know, you still have to manually enter all of your assets, right? Right. So um, integrating it with Questrade's API to pull that information automatically is you know the fundamental um leap that made it super useful in my opinion
0: mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah, I think it's a huge differentiator for you guys because yeah, like you said if some before if someone's not well there's first there's all these tools out there already that do that, so it's like well, how do you differentiate yourself right um that's that's the challenging thing, and like you said, most people already have a spreadsheet as well, and spreadsheets obviously have massive limitations, but what's great about them is that you have full control, right, over everything, which is which is great. So it's like, well, for in order and then if you're like a spreadsheet lover like myself, you know, it's hard to pull away from the spreadsheet. So it's like there better be something really compelling to get me off my spreadsheet, you know, uh, or to get me to primarily use something else. And so in, in this case though, I think the fact that you automatically, you know, pull the data from the from Questrate is 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 a huge thing, right? Because, I mean, nobody... We, I want to do fun analysis in my spreadsheet. I don't want to do manual data entry, so... Yeah, and exactly. I don't know that's boring. That. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like you can still use spreadsheets and I still use my spreadsheets to do, you know, some analysis and things like that just for, you know, for fun uh, and just like for cash flow management and all that. Um, but it's... But, I mean, that's that's the fun stuff is the analysis. Uh, so you can still do that, but you don't have to do the data entry anymore, so... Um, mm-hmm. No, so that's great. That's awesome. Um, one of the things... So you, you talked about this a bit already about how you will set notifications if you're off your allocation. So you, you basically set what allocation you want for your portfolio. And if the market shifts significantly enough, you guys will do that notification. I wanted to get your thoughts about when, when do you suggest people adjust their portfolio. Is there a certain percentage that you like to use? Like I've myself, I use Larry Suedro's approach where he does the five percent. So if my, the portfolio drives by five percent, either up or down, that's the signal to to rebalance. And then for if you have a smaller holdings like I have for emerging markets, I use one point seven five um, just for my personal stuff. Um, so that's that's my approach. But what do you, what do you guys say? Like what do you personally do? What do you suggest others use for that threshold?
1: Personally I use five percent as well. Okay. And um, I just I just it's not that i'm like following anyone's particular advice on that it's just that i find that's a good number for me Mm -hmm. um in like i was saying earlier like over several years of using passive there was you know the first time that i actually fell below my 95 percent threshold was with this um um, pandemic right Right. um and so it basically means that i didn't i didn't have to do any selling to rebalance at any point because it was always on target now i could have gone down to 90 percent if i wanted to But if I had, then it wouldn't have triggered um, a rebalance during this pandemic, right? Um, Which maybe that's not a bad thing. But um, you know, basically, I looked at my accounts and was like, "Well, if it's off five percent, that's enough to justify spending five or ten dollars on a couple of trades to uh, bring it back into alignment."
0: You know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. I I mentioned that. So, yeah, just for anybody. That's maybe new to this. I mean, when it comes to rebalancing, sort of the traditional approach is that you, yeah, you sell whatever is now overweight and you buy whatever is underweight in your portfolio. And it's interesting that you said in your experience this was the first time. That you actually had to sell something in order to get back into balance because before that you were just using whatever new money you had to invest to get back into balance and it, I say it's interesting because i I had the exact same experience, so when we were kind of approaching or, or go, you know trying to accumulate and both working full time and trying to get to our financial independence number uh, that's that's exactly basically how we would rebalance. I don't remember having to sell a single time because every time basically every time we got paid, Every month, once a month, I would take whatever money we're going to invest that month and I would just allocate that money accordingly to get us to that correct balance. And so there was no selling necessary. So that makes things actually really nice and also affordable in, in Questrade because with Questrade, you can buy the ETFs for free. Um, and so y- your costs are basically just bare, bare bones uh, at that point, which I found to be really, really uh, useful. And I like how you guys, I noticed you have that feature in Passive as well, where you can say, okay, show me how much I have to buy and how much I have to sell of each one to get me back into balance. Or there's an option that you can click. And that, that's what I have is you can, uh, it, Passive will tell you just, okay, here's how much with the cash you have, here's how much you should buy of each ETF. If you don't want to sell anything and just to get you closer to that asset allocation that you want. So I find that was a really, really neat feature. And I got a listener uh, question recently about that as well saying, well, what if I don't want to sell anything? What if I just want to use my you know, new cash that I have? And you j- just use that to help me get closer to my, the balance that I want. Um, so you guys basically have automated that, which is awesome.
1: Yep, yeah, exactly. And actually trying to figure out how to do that calculation was interesting because there's a lot of a lot of ways you could approach it, yeah. right? Um and it really turned out to be just like a really simple heuristic to get back into alignment and is basically like look at the assets in the account, calculate um, how much underweight or overweight they are, and then sort them by how much underweight they are. So the um you basically do that quick calculation to find the most underweight asset, buy one unit of that asset and then do the calculation again, mm-hmm. right? And after you buy that one unit of that asset, maybe it's no longer the most underweight, and so you need to buy a different one, right? Yeah. But you basically, it's just like kind of a really quick iterative calculation that continually buys the most underweight asset until... There's no cash left, and at that point we say, "Cool, here are the total number of units that we need to buy," and that's the order. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really pretty simple and elegant, and it works well.
0: Yeah, I like how you guys automated it because I have a, like I have an investing course, and I had when I got that question from one of the one of the course users, I basically created a spreadsheet that let them do that as well. Uh, and it works and it's great but it's still a spreadsheet so you still have to actually do you know enter the numbers in order for it to tell you what to do. Uh so I like how with you guys you, you it's just you don't have to use a spreadsheet at all basically. Um so that's that's fantastic. Um yeah. Yeah, it's great. I still use both, just like, just to you know, stay stay sharp. And so I still remember how all the math works and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, uh, so I like I I still I use passive kind of to you know double check my work and make sure it's all all, all is good. Um, and just to, yeah, just to stay on top of it still, because um, <laughs> I'm like automation is awesome, but for someone like myself who's in this field, I'm like I also want to know, always know you know exactly how those calculations work too, right? So exactly. Uh, yeah. But for I but there's a, there's a trust thing
1: too, right? Like yeah. you're if if you're relying solely on us, then you're kind of like trusting that we do it right. That's and right. That we're making That's the right, right choices. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and I remember you know when I initially uh, started using you guys, uh, yeah, I I basically compared to what you guys suggested to get me back the balance to my spreadsheet that I, that I have as part of the course. So I, I do use that spreadsheet myself. And, and I said, okay, am I recommending... The same thing that they're recommending, and vice versa, based on these inputs, based on the math, and and yeah, and it was it was consistent across the board. So I was like, okay, sweet, Pass. <laughs> like you know, we're, we're both doing our math the same way. Everything it looks you know looks good. Uh, and you guys just have an automated way of doing it, where it pulls that info directly from Trade and automatically mm-hmm. does it for you. And then the spread, I, I still think the spreadsheets, you know, once once again, useful because you do want to still understand the logic behind how it's calculated. Um, I, th- I think that there's some value in that, right? Just like in uh, absolutely, yeah. just like if you're learning math in school, you want to know how to actually like add yeah, you things. want to do it
1: with a pencil first, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> like learn how to actually add instead of, well, the answer is, you put this in a calculator and it tells you the answer. <laughs> and it's like, okay, but <laughs> do you understand the logic behind it? You know, that's, I think there's some value in that. Um. So no, that's great. And that, that's interesting that you use 5% as well. That's, uh, yeah, I, I find that's a good one, good one to use for sure. And then also too, one of the, I guess, big pieces of news that, we should mention is that uh, you guys told me recently that you, you can actually get, use Passive for free now. Because before, when you guys were on last time, I remember there was like a free version, but then there was also a paid version. And now you can actually get that premium version for free as well. Can you maybe talk about that part as well?
1: Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so as mo- most people probably know that we've had like a pretty strong relationship with Questrade over the years. Um Recently, we uh, started a new promotion with Questrade where Questrade is upgrading people's accounts for them. Um, so basically, if you create a passive account and you link your Questrade account to passive, that makes you eligible for a free upgrade to get all the advanced features. So most of the features that we've been talking about um, on this podcast are you know, the advanced ones that are paid features, right? Especially things like um, you know, one-click trades and uh, all that kind of stuff, right? Or multiple accounts. So... Um, Basically, yeah, QuestRate has said, uh, you know what, this is a great tool. We want our users to use it more, so um, we're going to offer this free upgrade to people.
0: Yeah, so so that's great. I mean, that to me makes it a no-brainer <laughs> because I've been, I mean, I've been using it, and and it's something that I think is worthwhile to to pay for, uh, and now. It's basically you can get it for free um, if you're a Questrade user, right, which is basically the broker uh, that I use as well, uh, primarily because of the free ETF buying, which is which is great. Um, yeah. And then, and then they're basically and questrade's is basically paying for it. So that's that's fantastic. That's great. That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, It's probably also important to point out that this is like exclusively available to Questrade customers, right? Um, At least in Canada. So we do support other brokerages outside of Canada, but within Canada, Questrade are the only ones we support. Mm -hmm. And there's a number of reasons for that. Like, I mean, the obvious one is that um, no other brokers have APIs that are like open APIs that we can really use, you know? Um, So Questrade is open enough to say, yes, we want third party applications running on our platform. And they're, you know, willing to allow that, which is amazing, you know? Yeah. Um, so that kind of started things, but, um, you know, due to the relationship we have with them, it's like, well, you know, we're going to stick with Questrade and, um, keep this on their platform.
0: Mm. It's great. Yeah. I remember, um, well, last time you guys were on, I had the chief technology officer of Questrade on, uh, with you guys, um, with Brendan, uh, your, your CEO. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you get, the guys were just talking about all these integration and the partnerships and, and yeah, I mean, it's really great how I, I love how Questrade's saying, Hey, we. Aren't gonna redevelop our platform to do all these things that that you know the passive wants to do. So here we'll let you guys do it, and we'll give you the the APIs that the technology needed to, to be able to do this work. So um, yeah, I, I love how they're so open to to working with other companies. And um, yeah, it, it's great, it's great because I mean I can see it being just such a monumental thing for them to develop what you guys have built in house um, because you know they're using like the technology and all of that. And uh, so, no, it's, it's great. I'm glad you guys were able to uh, build that kind of partnership for sure. Yeah, me too. Yeah,
1: I, th- I think it's a really smart strategy on their part um, to be that open because if you think about how people invest, it seems like pretty much everybody has their own quirks. You know, even people who are, you know, passive investors and investing in broadly diversified, balanced ETFs and so on, right? They probably have something weird about how they invest. And I wouldn't have thought that a few years ago, but the more users we talk to, the more like feature requests we get, and we get some like really strange ones where like people are just doing something like a little bit weird with how they invest. And we're like, okay, well, that's interesting. It's probably not something that we can build support for, but like maybe there could be an app for that somewhere.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. For um,
1: sure. And without having an open API, there's just no way to get that sort of diversity in the tool sets. So. By having an open API, like if somebody has decided that they want this tool to exist, they can just go build it, Mm -hmm. you know? yeah, You don't need to wait for the broker to bake it into their platform or for, you know, whatever else to happen. It can just exist.
0: Yeah, and it seems to me that, I mean, the brokerages, they've traditionally, it looks like, have been focused on... More of you know the 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 day traders, the people that are just trading all the time, because that's where the brokerages tend to make their money is on the trades and people doing lots of trades. But if you're a passive ETF investor, I mean, you might be buying like if you're if you buy an asset allocation ETF, you're buying one ETF, let's say a month. If you're like myself, where you're buying the individual ETFs, you're maybe buying four, let's say, or five uh, per month. That's so little, well, and they're and you, and you're buying them for free because Questrate has the free ETF buying. <laughs> so, so I mean, yeah, right. So, so I can see it being hard for them to make a business case saying, okay, people are buying ETFs from us for free, and we're going to spend all this money building this giant you know platform where this is not a, pro- a huge profit maker for us because they i imagine make you know a lot of their money on the frequent traders right the people that are stock picking and doing you know multiple trades a day kind of thing so i like how they basically said okay you guys <laughs> passive you guys can run with this and and sort of gave you the the tools you need to be able to do it so uh, so that's great that's great because that's one thing that i found is with the brokerages they aren't they weren't always the most user friendly to beginner investors, right? Because the platform exactly. wasn't built for them. It was built for these people that are professional traders or or want to be professional traders, not so much for passive index investors. Um so I'm glad that you guys kind of stepped in and said, okay, let's make this a little bit simpler for people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah.
1: One of the things I, I wonder about with uh with um like big brokerages that are owned by banks is like you know, if you've ever used their interfaces, they are kind of like old and janky. They seem like a website that's, you know, was designed in 2005 <laughs> yeah, in a lot yeah, of cases, right? right. And that, that's not true for all of them, but uh, for the few that I've tried, it's, it, that seems to be a pretty common thing I know thread. what you
0: mean. There's a very distinct, you can tell right away, yeah, because you feel like you're 10 years ago using the internet, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and you know, you wonder, like, well, why is that, right? Are they just not willing to put the, invest, like the, the resources into building it
0: further, or is there
1: no money in it for them or whatnot, right? And... You think about it being under a bank's brand and, well, like, you know, the bank usually has large wealth management branches, you know, like they have financial advisors who put money into mutual funds and that's a huge cash cow for them, right? So why do, why would they want to make it easier for people to invest right. on their own and avoid those fees?
0: Right. Yeah, if it looks overwhelming for you, well then hey, why don't you try one of our financial advisors and we'll stick you in some two and a <laughs> exactly. half percent MER mutual fund. And look, we we'll do everything for you. Why, you know, why why trouble yourself with this? <laughs> so yeah, that's a good point, right? Like they, they that's they, a little conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, as a business, right, they're gonna put money into where they're going to invest in things that make them the most money. And, and yeah, they're going to make probably, I imagine the most money off their, you know, certain high fee products that they can recommend as opposed to, you know, someone that's, that's buying four ETFs a month. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yep, yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. So no, that makes sense. So one of the things I, I noticed, you guys, um, when you when you sent me the list of some of the new new features you guys have been working on, you mentioned uh, that one-click trades are now supporting limit orders. And so this is a subject we haven't really covered on a podcast before. The whole subject. I mean, I have it in the course, but just to give everybody, uh, you know, anybody who is j- just listens to the podcast, to give them some understanding, uh, there's limit orders and then there's market orders. Those are kind of the two main ones. Can you talk about well, definitely you can talk about you know, the feature that you added, but just so people understand why it's relevant, why it's important. Can you talk about what limit orders are versus market orders?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So a market order is basically when you place an order on your brokerage and you say, I'm going to take whatever the best price is that I can get. So if I'm you know, buying a share of a stock... Well, I look at the market and say, well, here's the bid-ask spread. So the ask is like there are people who are offering to sell their shares in the stock. Here is the best price that they're asking, you know. And so if you place a market order, you try to take that best price. Um, The trick is that when you do that, the market prices can change. So um, say, say you know, a stock was priced at $50. You said, yes, I'm going to buy it because I like the $50 price and you put in your order, but by the time your order actually gets executed, that $50 price has been taken by somebody else, and now it's 51 Well, your trade's going to execute at 51 and maybe you've ended up with a price that you weren't expecting. Um, maybe you feel a little bit sad about that. Um, it's it's just kind of like one of the, the realities of a market order. is like, you're just going to take whatever the best offer happens to be when the order gets placed. Um, the plus side of that is that it gets placed really, really quickly, and it takes a lot of the complexity out of it. And um, you're generally not getting ripped off by a market order because it is the best price you can get on the market. A limit order is a little bit different in that you're placing an order, but saying, I'm only willing to pay up to X dollars for a share of the stock. And if the market price, if the um, uh, the ask price is above that, then your market, your order is just not going to get filled. It'll stay open and maybe the price will come back down and it'll get filled at some point, but it doesn't necessarily fill immediately unless you've uh, put your, willing to pay price high enough above the ask price that it's likely to fill so personally i'm not i don't really use limit orders um there are like a few very specific cases when i when i've used them in the past but uh, for the most part it's just market orders and it's because i'm buying etfs that are like super liquid the bid ask spread is almost nil um, the prices don't fluctuate, like the price of the ETF doesn't fluctuate fast enough for it to be worth waiting around and try to get a special deal, you know. So market orders work really well for me and they work really well for what passive was designed to do. But people are using passive in different ways, you know, like like I said earlier, people have stock picks on passive. Some people have built um instead of um uh, balanced ETF portfolios, they've picked 10 or 15 stocks and they've built their own balanced fund out of these stocks. And if you do that, then you're dealing with something which may not have the same liquidity as one of these massive ETFs. The spread may be higher. Um, There may be more risk in the price of one of these assets changing as you're trying to place an order and so on. And so we've had um, quite a few requests from people over the years asking for us to support limit orders. Um, They simply say, look, I just never place a market order. Their whole approach for buying things is like they will look at the current market price and they will set a limit order, which is that market price plus a few pennies mm-hmm. and that's usually good enough to make sure it gets executed and it also um, sort of like has a level of protection in there so in case there's like a price swing right as they're placing the order it's not accidentally going to get filled at a much higher price than they expected mm-hmm. so for years we kind of like resisted doing that because we're like well you know it's meant to be like it's meant to be an etf tool right and if you're buying penny stocks with it maybe uh maybe this is not the tool for you And so it's one of these like hard product decisions that we have to wrestle with is like, do we build this thing, which only a small minority of users might want to use, but it'll be really important to them to have it. Mm -hmm. So uh, we actually did go and build this. Um, We built it um, a few months ago. I think we released it in February, something like that. So the thing is that like, we have to like, we have to make certain compromises when these build these features. So, when we place orders, when you when you place an order through Passive, Passive essentially routes your order to your broker and your broker executes it. And we need to do that relatively quickly because when we're giving you a set of trades that you need to do to bring your account back into alignment, um, here is the set of trades. We've calculated it at this point in time based on the current market prices and all of these trades need to be executed nearly at the same time in order to get those prices. Um, and if you're selling, if you if you have like a sell order as a part of it, well then your buy orders won't even go through unless that sell order goes through first. So there's sort of like an order of operations that needs to happen, and it has to happen relatively quickly in order to make sure that this batch of orders gets placed. So with that as the constraint, your the orders kind of have to be marketable orders. They have to be something that um, is eligible to be executed immediately, and it's not something that um, is going to sit around in your account for a day waiting for it to maybe possibly fill. Mm. So we end up with this constraint saying it has to be a marketable order. So obviously market orders are marketable because you're just taking whatever the best prices you can get. Limit orders are not always marketable, meaning you can set the limit at a price that's simply not going to be met by the market right now. So those are orders that are adding liquidity to the market. You're If you, Post an order with a price that's not going to be filled immediately, well it's just going to sit there in a the queue waiting for somebody to to fill it with that price. And it may never actually get filled. So um, the way we do limit orders is that we require the orders to be marketable. And instead of letting you set an explicit price for each stock that you or ETF that you want to buy, um, we let you set a an overall percentage price premium that you're that you're willing to pay. So rather than saying, well, here are the eight things you want to buy or sell, go in and set a price for each of them. We say, well, overall, what is the premium you're willing to pay above the market price? Are you willing to pay 1% more? Are you willing to pay 0.1% more? Um, and so whatever it is, you configure that and we apply it to all the orders. And that way it's a very simple thing to do and we make sure that the orders you place are marketable and very likely will get executed immediately. Gotcha. And it still gives you that that protection against a massive swing in price that might give you an unexpected
0: execution okay that makes sense yeah so it's like a market order but you but with a ceiling essentially so that you don't get too surprised you know you don't end up paying more than you really were willing to
1: Exactly. It's like a capped market order. Mm-hmm.
0: Gotcha. gotcha. Have you ever, yeah. have you ever, Like, I mean, so the way I've always done it is I would do, I mean, when I was initially, you know, trained on it and started investing, I was always doing the, you know, limit orders, but make it a few pennies higher, uh, you know, if you're buying and then kind of do it that way. Um, but you said you you primarily use market orders. Have you ever gotten burned using market orders where it was just, let's say the markets were just really, really volatile during that time of the day when you were placing the trade. And then, you know, you ended up paying way more than you thought you were going to pay. Uh, and then, you know, later the markets kind of stabilized back and you're like, Oh, I wish I would have just, you know, done a limit order. How, did, did that ever happen to you with your experience?
1: Um, for most of my investments, no. Mm-hmm. The one case I can think where I, uh, I had a little bit of a feeling like that was um, I actually had like a speculative stock pick about a year ago. So um, I bought some shares in beyond meat back when it IPO'd and um, it did much better than I thought it would. And within a month of buying it, it was like, Holy moly, I've doubled my money on this. Um, That was, this is like, I intended this to be like a really long term, like, you know, investment in the space and it's doubled its money and it's crazy volatile and i don't see how this is justified i you know i can't handle the stress
0: right <laughs> right, right. <laughs>
1: so <Yeah. laughs> so i was like i'm just i'm just gonna get out you know yeah this is, it's, you're it's, ahead. Yeah. yeah it's so volatile that it's making me want to check my check how it's doing every day <laughs> yeah. which is not the point right uh so i i decided to sell that but it happened to be on a day when it was like super volatile so i remember logging into quest trade to sell this and um I went for a market order, just, you know, sell it, whatever you can get. Um, the current price on it was like $155 a share or something like that. And when it actually executed a few seconds later, I'd only got like 150 for it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's that's kind of odd. Why is that? And so there was like a bit of a larger bid-ask spread than um, that I had thought at the time. But it also did seem to be a little bit lower than I was expecting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, overall, I'm, obviously, i was still happy with it. I doubled my money on it, right? But um, that's one of those cases where I was like, well, maybe I should have made a limit order. But, you know, also in the past, like maybe 10 years ago when I was first getting into, um, you know, buying stocks and stuff, whenever I tried placing a limit order i always found the market would move against me and it would just never get placed no, okay, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then i would have to come back in and place a higher one whereas if i had just taken the market price in the first yeah, place yeah. i would have had a better price you but know? it's annoying it
0: so, feels yeah. like it feels like ebay right where you're like okay i gotta increase my bid because someone just me. okay i gotta increase it again i got it <laughs> and you just keep yeah, exactly. ing- and you just keep increasing increasing <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and then at the
1: end of it you're like god oh, if i had just bought it and what it was and
0: it would have been fine you know <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's an important uh, like it's kind of a you know i guess nuance maybe a bit of, of investing but but it's worth mentioning i mean i had someone uh, reach out to me recently like i like i said before i always i i've always done the the limit orders doing a few pennies up and that's what i uh, you know teach others uh, as well but uh, i had i had one lady that you know took the course and she was doing what you said we're like okay put the limit order in but it kept but the market kept moving right and I guess she was trading during a pretty volatile time and so the price just kept going up and up and up so every time she put a limit order in it would just it would be below what it's already trading at uh, and so she just wasn't so she got frustrated and she's like forget it I'm just gonna do a market order and so she switched <laughs> to market order and then she's like Cornell it was way more than I thought it was gonna like I know you told me limit orders but I didn't <laughs> want I did not I don't want to keep you know changing it so I just said forget it I'm gonna do market order and then it was like wait. and and that, it was more than what she was you know expecting right? right and so it kind of left a bit of a sort of bad taste in her mouth right where uh so yep. so I told her like okay well you know trade more like during the like you know lunchtime as opposed to like right when the market's open or right at the end where they tend to be more volatile um but i mean that's kind of yeah i think i think it's worth because it's one thing where you know you, you know what you're going to be spending on something it's another i can see it it's being like a psychological thing where it's okay here's I'll buy it whatever it's at, and then you see the market spike and then you're like, Oh, I wish I didn't I didn't just let it buy it out whatever it was at and I would have missed the spike, you know. So um yeah. so that yeah, that's that's an interesting um uh, it's an interesting one. You said there was a few times that you did use uh that you did use limit orders. when when was that in your case?
1: Oh this was this was almost ten years ago. Okay. Um <laughs> back when I first opened a brokerage account. Uh-huh. Um I, I bought some shares of AMD and this was like this was in like the the bad years at AMD, right? But they, I I was uh, doing a master's degree in uh, GPU computing at the time and AMD GPUs were amazing. And I really liked their overall like strategy of like uh, building these CPUs with GPUs embedded on the chip. So like integrated GPUs and basically as far as I'm concerned, they were very very much ahead of the time um, in developing that sort of stuff and going heavy on like the massively parallel uh, processing angle. And so, at the time I was like, well, look, they're like super low valued. I'm just going to buy some AMD and this strategy will pay off for them. And so I used limit orders to do that. And every time I did, like I, you know, I swear every single time I put in a limit order saying, I'm just going to, you know, bid a few pennies below the price and get a deal. Right. right. It would just move in the opposite <laughs> direction. And it was super frustrating. <laughs> yeah. And it, I, you know, I'd end up spending hours trying to like shave a few pennies yeah, off of one yeah. of these stocks. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, I learned a bit of a lesson from the AMD stuff as well, though. So If anybody is like familiar with, you know, AMD particular and how they've done over the last few years, um, the strategy did pay off for them, but it wasn't until uh, the next generation of chips. So when I invested in 2011, it was probably 2013 or so by the time I got frustrated and pulled out and I'd lost like, you know, 70% of what I'd put in. Right. Mm. And I was thinking, bye, AMD must be dead. You know, I guess whatever they did didn't really work out for them. That's too bad. And now they're worth, um, what, probably 10 or. 20x beyond like what what it was when i sold right? mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like well my thinking was right but i was off by like seven years
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole timing issue right it can, it's, it's yeah like, right, you can be and right just, and, 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 and yeah. be, still be wrong <laughs> yeah yeah
1: that's, that's why i try not to pick stocks for, for sure. the most part like it's it's too easy to just not understand what the market is doing even even with, like, you look at the what's happened with this pandemic, right? And, oh, yeah. Um, you know, a month or two ago, it was all doom and gloom, and people's portfolios are down 30%, and holy moly, the whole world economy has ground to a halt. <laughs> that's never happened before. This could be really bad. And now we're pretty much back up at near all-time highs. Yeah. I don't understand how that's possible. It's, but it's, so,
0: ha- it's so close now. It, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. If, if I
1: had <laughs> been been a betting person, I would have shorted the market really hard, you know, a month or two ago. And I probably would have lost my shirt for it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I kind of look at these things and be like, maybe I really don't have an edge and I should just stick to the passive investing strategy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's hard because there's the professional investors and then there's the non professional investors who are speculating. But if, if they go, if they're doing it in masses, right, then that can really change things as well. Um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I don't, I don't play that game either. I'm just long term, basically purist index investor. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I don't know. It's been, uh, it's it's definitely got me through this whole pandemic volatility, and it's it's been fine. So um, yeah, so no, I'm 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 with you there as well. I don't do any stock. Sort of speculating or, or shorting the market or anything like that either. Uh, yeah, I, one thing before we before we move on, I wanted to mention too because just to finish out that whole conversation about the limit orders and the market orders. One thing that I just thought I'd mention because it throws some people off, and, and I got this question recently from uh, from someone uh, is that when you see the prices, let's say on Quest Trade or, or any really anywhere, uh, typically they are delayed by around fifteen minutes. And so what I've gotten the question I've gotten from someone was, okay, it, it says the ask price is. Let's say $10. So I say, okay, $10 and two cents, let's say, you know, just to give some a bit of a buffer and then it doesn't close. Like, so they're like, well, what, what, what's going on? Right? Like I, I bid over what the ask is by a little bit and it, and the order is still not closing. What, what, what's happening? And it's like, well, the price is actually delayed by 15 minutes uh, or around there. And so by the time you place that order, the market might have already moved way up. And so you might have actually missed that. And so that, that's what's happening there. And mm-hmm. I remember like my understanding is that you can get actual live data, but then that's like an extra basically service you have to pay for. And that's more for like day traders or people that are, you know, that, that really need need that immediate stock price information. Uh, and so that's not something that really you as an index investor would be would be or should be wanting to buy, right? And so uh, I just thought I'd mention that because I did get that question recently from a listener of the show, and uh, and I can see how that's confusing, right? Because it's like if you go to a store and you see something that's ten dollars, and you offer them ten dollars <laughs> and two cents, and they're like, "No, sorry, we're at you know we're at thirteen now." <laughs> the price <laughs> has already yeah, increased. You're like, what, what, what the price says ten dollars, and I gave you more than what you're asking. <laughs> it's like yeah. some of those Shark Tank or uh, episodes, right, where they're like they come and asking for like you know $30,000 and then the dragons offer them that and they're like actually no I'm not going to take the deal I want more than that now and they're like what the heck <laughs> you know, why, you, know you, you told us one thing and now you're doing another um, yeah, but anyways this is just a side note but I just thought I'd mention it because it was it was I think it's a good question and I can see it being a, a point of confusion for uh, for some people uh, so let, let's move on one of the other things uh, I noticed you guys added was the advanced currency handling um, so you can basically to help people invest with multiple currencies so I personally I use the Norbert's uh, Norbert's Gambit technique to do the cheap currency exchanges, but I realize that's, and that's like beyond the scope of this particular episode, because that's a whole nother, that's like its own podcast episode (laughs) that I'll have to do sometime. (laughs) But I realized that that technique can be intimidating and it's really not the best for beginner investors. So what is a good alternative? Since my, you know, if you want to buy something that's a stock or ETF, that's in US dollars, what's a good alternative? Because... My understanding is that the currency conversion fees are pretty high if you just go with your bank or if you just go through a brokerage. Uh, so that's why I use Norbert's Gambit. But for anybody that's not willing to dive into that sort of deeper end of the pool, you know, what do you, what do you like? What do you suggest? Do you have any opinions on that?
1: Yeah. So uh, if your goal is to convert Canadian dollars to US or the other way around, uh, there's really not too much of an alternative to doing something like Norbert's Gambit if you're looking to save on fees. Um, I mean, you could always try to withdraw your cash and then exchange it somewhere else and put it back in in the opposite currency, and, like you could do that. But again, it's slow, and you're still going to pay a currency exchange rate somewhere. Right? right. So it's it's really hard to avoid those of those fees. Um, but if you if you're not trying to buy, like if you're if you're trying to buy, um, you know, an index, for example, that represents like the S and P five hundred. Um, you don't have to buy that in US dollars, even though it's a us index. There are Canadian ETFs that represent that same index and you can buy them with Canadian dollars. and you can buy them in forms which are um, either currency hedged, which means that it's like um, you're not you don't expose yourself to the currency risk when you when you purchase it. Um, You're going to basically get the S&P 500 returns as if it were denominated in Canadian dollars versus U.S. dollars, or you can buy the straight-up one, which is like you get the returns of the S&P 500 as well as whatever shifts there are in USD CAD um, currency, right? So you don't have to exchange directly to buy a lot of these things. You can buy, you know, Canadian uh, versions of them. Now, often the uh, fees on those ETFs are slightly higher. So um, uh, just looking at like Vanguard. S&P 500 ETFs, Um, the U.S. version of it has a fee of like, I don't know, four basis points. It's super, super low. And the Canadian version is more like uh, 10 or 15 basis points. So it's still very low, but it is higher. Um, So it's just kind of like how much money are you investing? Um, Think about how long it would take to try to recoup that currency exchange fee if you were transferring it to U.S. dollars and back again. Um most most platforms I think take around like a two to three percent fee if you were doing like a round trip between US dollars and back to CAD. Mm. Um,
0: so, so, um, so so it, it would speaking, it would take a long
1: time for those basis points to add up.
0: Yeah, yeah so it sounds like generally speaking, if you're mm. like you shouldn't buy like let's say you want an SP five hundred ETF that's on in US dollars on the US market because its MER is a bit lower. Um generally you shouldn't do that unless you're able to get the Currency exchange to be really, really low, like by using Norbert's, the Norbert Gambit technique, for example, you're better off just yeah, just right. buying the the Canadian version of that, right? That is, that's what that's your stance on that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: and and like and the reason is like you know yeah the brokerage, they'll they'll charge you know one point five percent or whatever for moving your from one currency to another, which is a lot, right? Yeah. Like that's, a, that's a substantial amount of money. But your bank is going to have the same rate or worse. You yeah. know? So you you need to go to like an actual forex clearinghouse to get your money changed and get a better rate. And even then, they're still going to take a piece of it because that's how they make money.
0: Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like in your effort to lower your MER by a very small amount, you're paying way more than that just on the currency exchange. So it's like, don't what's about, what's that expression? Don't uh, miss the forest for the trees, or whatever that <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the way that I've. Uh, yeah, the way that I've I did it, just kind of through my investing uh, life, <laughs> I guess you could say, is yeah when when I did not feel comfortable using Norbert's gambit, yeah when I just you know was in the kind of the beginner investor stages of my life, then yeah I just did what you said and okay to get exposure to the U.S. market, I just bought you know a U.S. I mean sorry a Canadian traded. ETF that represents the US market. So something like, you know, VFV or VUN, you know, those kinds of, yeah. XUS was another one I remember, just, you know, listening to top of my head. So those kinds of ETFs. And then eventually... What happened is we, I don't know if you care about this or not, but I'm just t- telling the users because or the listeners, because I, I think this may be helpful to make investing less overwhelming if you're just getting started. Um, but then eventually, once our portfolio got big enough and the allocation that we had in the US was significant, then I, be, and, and I became a more experienced investor because I've been doing it for years at that point. And then I said, okay, the money's big enough, the savings are big enough, let's now actually Learn Norbert's Gambit, how to do it properly, and do to get that really cheap currency conversion and do it that way. Because there's the other benefit, too, whereas if you hold that, the, like, uh, the if I when you hold the US market, uh, that if, in a US listed ETF, then and you, and you do that within your RRSP, then basically you save money on the US uh, dividend, uh, the withholding taxes as well. So that that's pretty much the main reason that I do it. But that's what mm-hmm, that, that's, that's more like once you're, you know, years into investing and the amounts big enough where you're like, okay, I'm ready to sort of optimize things to that next level. Right. To get like, I'm already like 80 or 90% there. Let's get it back. Let's get it even closer to a hundred. Um, so that's, that's the way that I've personally approached it. And I think that's, if I was to do it all over again, I think I would do it that way too. Um because you do want to sort I, of I think that's exactly the right way to do okay, it. Okay, yeah. awesome, awesome. Yeah. Because yeah. you want to get your sea um, C- yeah, legs like, under you at first, right? Like you wanna <laughs> you, that's you right. wanna be like, I'm gonna do my, buy my first ETF. Oh, and let's do Norbert's Gimmick because if, if you go down that rabbit hole, you're gonna get overwhelmed. At least I would have like if I started first investing, I, I looked into it. And I was like, okay, I'm not ready for this yet. Let's you know, let's invest for a few years, get comfortable, and then we take it to this next level. Um Yeah. And if you're just doing and you're not gonna it just doesn't make sense to do it if you're just buying a little bit of, of currency anyway right like you want to make it uh it has to be a much a bigger amount to make it worth your while because you're still going to pay transaction costs right on doing that conversion so um that's right yeah anyways but but it's interesting to hear that you're also you you also agree with that sort of uh yeah, process I, I
1: think that applies to like a lot of things in life Is like avoiding premature optimization yeah. you know like don't make things more complicated than they need to be until it actually matters you know yeah um, we, we have the same thing in, in software development, you know, it's like um, we think about the trading engine that we've built to calculate what people need to do in their, with their account in order to follow their target. And it's getting pretty complicated now because of, you know, the the currency handling we have and the multiple accounts and being able to group accounts into portfolios and all that stuff um, that makes the calculations fairly complicated. And at this point, the calculations are a little bit slow. Like they still happen quickly. And like as a, as a user, you, you won't notice that they're particularly slow, but When you're doing it for thousands of accounts um, on our servers, um, you know, it adds up. And so, you know, for us, we look at it and we're like, well, you know, we could optimize it. We could probably make it 10 10 times faster if we did X, Y, and Z. But when we do these things, we know that we're actually going to be making the code a lot more complicated. We're probably going to be introducing really subtle bugs. Um, It's going to make the code less maintainable so that it takes more time to fix it and change it as we add more features. Um, so it's it's like one of these fundamental trade-offs where it's like, yeah, you can have it fast or you can you can have it correct and good, right? Mm,
0: for sure. <laughs> like, for sure. And then yeah, when you try to optimize things too fully, too quickly, you kinda it's easy to get out sort of paralysis analysis and, and overwhelm and then just kind of put on the back burner and say, Okay, I'll keep researching it, I'll keep looking into it. And then it's like, okay, a year has gone by, you still haven't you have the money sitting in cash, you still haven't invested, you might have just missed a really big you know, rally just because you were trying to get a hundred percent optimized right off the bat. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. there, there, I think yeah. I think there's something to to that as well. Um, so, I think yeah, it's it's okay to start off like eighty percent optimized and then just keep moving towards that hundred um, percent. And then like the little minor optimizations won't even make that big of a difference if your portfolio isn't that big anyway. Um, actually, yeah, so total side question. At what point do you think people should start to really? start optimizing your portfolio to kind of the further, more advanced levels, like, you know, using Norbert's Gambit, for example?
1: Well, it's definitely, there's like, there's definitely like a continuum of optimization, right? right? So like, you could say like, well, the easiest way to invest is to just put money in your savings account. And you're not really investing, but you are saving. And, you know, the bulk of your your performance, at least in the short term, is just how much you save, right? right. So you can do a pretty good job at investing if you're just dumping money into a savings account um, for the short term, you know? And then, well, the next thing is, well, let's make it a little more complicated. Let's We can put money into mutual funds or into a robo-advisor. So it's a fully managed option. We don't need to think about it. It's very easy. And probably the money will grow a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that that works as well. And then, like, kind of the next step is, well, now, once I have, you know, say, $50,000 or whatever, right? Once it's enough money that the fees start becoming important, now you think, well, maybe I should consider um, a DIY approach if that if I have an appetite for that, right? And you could do something like a basic couch potato portfolio or something. Right. And then once you have a few hundred thousand, then you're like, well, okay. Now the fees on this are, there are still fees and there are still costs and there's, you know, withholding taxes. If I optimize this, then I can save so many dollars a year. Right. So I I always try to like, um, Convert it back to like equivalent dollars per year. You know mm. how much is it actually costing me to not make these changes? What's the opportunity cost? Yeah, and I, I personally like I'm I'm still on a very basic couch potato portfolio. Um, I have uh, a few hundred thousand in my retirement portfolio right now, and it has it's not to the point yet where it's worth it to me to do something a little more complicated, like um, uh, you know the Canadian portfolio manager strategy for um, reducing taxes and so on. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's worth mentioning right that a lot of these optimizations, at least in, in the Investing world, it seems, at least from what I've seen, is that it is, it's like a percentage basis of your portfolio. So it's just you're trying to shave off a percent of a percent, basically, you know, like like little, little, little minor things. And so on like a $50,000 portfolio, half a percentage point is not that much money. Whereas on a $500,000 portfolio, all of a sudden to pay an extra half a percent or 1% every year is all of a sudden pretty significant. Let's say you're paying someone 1% fee to help you manage your your money. Well, on a million-dollar portfolio, that's $10,000 a year that you're paying them, right? So then it's this question of, well, are you getting good value out of it? Whereas if your portfolio is only 50000 well, 1% on that, it's still something, right? But it's obviously a lot different than the $10,000. So um, yeah, so I, I like your approach of just actually thinking, okay, how much am I really paying for this based on where I'm at? And then and then deciding whether you should opt whether it's big enough to actually pursue these other optimizations. Let's talk about the cash management rules that you guys did, because I know you guys started doing things with dollar cost averaging as well. Can mm-hmm. you talk about, first, just for anybody not familiar, what dollar cost averaging is and why it's important, why you should care, why why is it a tool you should be aware of in your investing toolbox? And then how did you guys deal with that in passive? Because I believe that's a new feature you guys have as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so... This is like another one of these classic features where, like, we've been thinking about um, having better cash management stuff for a long time. You know, pretty much within a few months of launching passive, we had people saying, "Hey, I want the ability to do something with my cash. I want to, you know, either withhold a very specific dollar amount indefinitely, or I want to only invest a certain amount with this set of calculations." Right? And uh, it, it was it was never like a high enough volume of requests for us to consider doing it. So that's kind of like one of our guiding development principles is like, how much are people demanding it? And if it's only one or two people um, every month asking for it, that's not really, you know, a huge number, even though, yeah, you want to service it, but you have to recognize that you're also impacting all the other users by introducing this little extra bit of complexity, you know, and by focusing on this versus the other things we could be doing. So um, the reason why we did it um, recently is, is uh, directly like as a response to the pandemic. So, It's not something that we had planned to do. It's not something like we didn't have a roadmap saying, okay, when the next market crash happens, we will do this. It was more like when the market started tanking, all of a sudden we started getting a lot of requests from people saying, hey, um, you know, I just contributed a bunch of money to my account so that I can, um, you know, buy the dip or, um, you know, kind of gradually rebalance my portfolio. And I want to allocate it slowly. You know, I want to dollar cost average this in. How do I do that? And up until that point um the answer was well you could just like set up recurring transfers from your bank for you know say a $1000 a week or whatever it is you want to contribute and when that money hits your account passive will allocate it for you you know and that's that's kind of like the way that we've told people how to do it up until now but with with the pandemic people like people have not just been putting new money into their accounts but they've also been having to rebalance and a lot of people say well i want to do a rebalance but i don't want to um, purchase everything immediately you know like i want to sell the things that are overweight but i don't want to reallocate that right now i want to take that twenty thousand dollars or whatever it is and allocate it over the next month or two so that i'm not necessarily you know like basically who knew how deep the the dip was going to go so they didn't want to do it all right away they wanted to spread that out over time because everything was so volatile And so that was when we realized, like, okay, this is something we really need to support. Um, This has gone from, like, a very niche thing to something that we're getting, you know, 10 or 15 emails a week demanding this. So we have to build it. And so that's what we did. So we basically built these cash management tools to help people do um, two things with their cash. So one would be um, the dollar cost averaging thing where they only want to allocate a certain amount of cash at a time. And the other thing is for people who want to just retain a fixed dollar amount of, of cash, and so, you know, oh, we we've always kind of like had the ability to keep cash in your account. So cash is can be a part of your target where you can say I want like twenty percent of my portfolio in cash, and we will just you know calculate whatever that happens to be as it's being calculated, and say this is the cash target, and we're going to make sure that much stays in cash. Uh, but that's that's a, an amount that's like proportional to your total portfolio value. It's not a fixed dollar amount. So um, this cash management thing is like now you can just add a rule and say, I want to keep 3000 dollars in my RRSP as cash. Or I want to keep and, and you can you can basically set the currency, you can set the account you want it into. It gives you like a very fine-grained level of control over how your cash um, is managed in your accounts.
0: That's very interesting. Yeah. And I mean, we'll have to do an episode sometime on, on dollar cost averaging, just as a whole sort of to discuss the pros and cons of each because um, I get questions like this periodically as well, where people will say, okay, I I don't know, sold the business or sold the rental property or just, you know, I don't got an inheritance or, or, or maybe they just got a big bonus at work and they want to invest it. Should I do it all at once or should I spread it out over a certain period of time? And so there's really pros and cons of, doing it all at once versus spreading it out. Uh, from all the research that I've seen, you have a higher probability of gaining more if you do it all at once, but that's not a guarantee. So you may also get unlucky and you may actually end up worse off by doing it all at once. And, and but 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 the the math from what I've seen has you know shown that you are better off doing it all at once, but there's that whole that's just the math piece, right? But then there's also the whole psychological component of okay, you know, you just sold your business for whatever it is or you just have all this money and we're in the middle of a pandemic and the markets are being very volatile. And I don't, you just just don't, even though the mass is one thing, you just don't feel comfortable, let's say plowing $50,000 in, All at once on a single day into these ETFs. And that's, I think that's understandable. I mean, that's pretty, you know, you have to really believe (laughs) in, you know, in the math and and you have to, you know, you have to have a certain type of temperament, I think, uh, to be, feel comfortable doing something like that. And so I can see why people choose the dollar cost averaging route because, you know, there are some psychological. Sort of benefits to it, uh, and you're just trying to minimize the downside as well. So, uh, so I guess, so, Absolutely. yeah. So I, I like how you guys, uh, how you guys added it, uh, that in because you know people, especially with this pandemic, right, and how things have been going. It's you know I've talked, to, I've been talking to a lot of people, and and yeah, I mean, there people are aren't sure. Are we going to have another giant dip really soon? Are we going to have another you know twenty percent correction? Even though now we're almost at back, yeah, right, maybe, highs, right? Maybe we're
1: in a bull trap, right? Yeah, like so
0: who who who? Uh, yeah, like no n- 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 nobody can. Consistently correctly predict these things, right? And so it's understandable uh, if someone's got, let's say, twenty k, ten even, you know, even ten k to invest. Maybe you don't want to do it all at once. Is there a certain when it comes to dollar cost averaging? Do you have a certain time frame that you like to use? Like for example, let's say someone has let's let's use ten thousand dollars as an example. Um, Would you if you? Do you have a certain time frame in the sense of would you say okay I'm going to spread that out over 12 months so you know split it into 12 equal chunks and invest all that over the course of a year or uh, do you have something else like I'd like to use six months or I'd like to use a quarter or I'd like to use a few weeks Uh, do you have have you looked into it at all do you have any sort of preference
1: Um, personally I I look at dollar cost averaging as a way of like damping the volatility in a market right so um, if you have a chunk of cash to invest and you're worried that you don't know if you're at you know a peak or a trough um, you want to just kind of average it out right but that doesn't mean you necessarily need to average it out over the course of a year Um, if you look at you know how the markets have been we're swinging a couple months ago like they were going up and down five percent every day like there's no way I personally would be able to sleep at night, <laughs> you know, putting a large chunk of cash into the market on one day, knowing that I could just lose 5% just like that.
0: Then I say you wake, yeah, you wake up and Whoops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it,
1: yeah, but if you average that out over like even two weeks, you know, like you've damp, you've already removed most of that volatility. So um, for me personally, I, I, I don't look at it as like a long-term thing to do um, other than in terms of like ongoing contributions. Like, yeah, I'm contributing, you know, say a thousand dollars a month. Well, that's going to happen forever. And that is a form of like dollar cost averaging to some extent. Right. Right. But, um, but in terms of like just a lump sum, um, I, I personally would be much more biased towards getting it into the market as soon as possible, but just trying to filter out whatever daily volatility there might mm-hmm,
0: be. For sure, yeah. I mean, for one, the markets do go up more than they go down on average. If you're uh, exactly you know, index right, investor. time
1: in the market beats timing. That's market. right.
0: That's right. Yeah. So, so I mean, there's there's that. Uh, Incentive, I guess, to you know, to put it in sooner rather than later, Uh, and then also, I mean, you you could be if you stretch it over something long, like I would say, a course of a year, you're also now missing out on dividend payments as well, right? Because that money is sitting in probably a high interest savings account, waiting to be invested. Uh, and yeah, you might be earning some interest on that, but you're also missing out on on dividends if that was invested, so you're missing out on dividends for sure uh and you could be missing on some massive capital gains because the markets do tend to go up more than they down you know historically that's always been the case, and that's why <laughs> we invest right so um yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I think that's uh yeah it, it, it's a tough one. I think a lot of people kind of struggle with that and i have have yet to find sort of a an optimum. You know, consensus from pe- from experts in the field that say this is the ideal time frame to a dollar cost average over if you are going to do it. Because um, sure. I guess it's it's very situational. Um, depends on the person too, yeah. Yeah, very much so. Okay, awesome. All right, so we just had that crash not too long ago, the COVID crash. We've seen quite a bit of a recovery as well already, like we've already talked about. What are your thoughts on the crash and how has it effective, affected what you see passive users doing?
1: Um, so, uh, we were speaking earlier about uh, cash management, and um, that was kind of like an interesting thing because it took something that was a relatively niche feature request from users, which is like allocating cash over time and doing dollar cost averaging, and it just brought it front and center immediately. And that kind of made me realize, okay, people are reacting to this. Um, I mean, you know, clearly the market as a whole is reacting to it, but even passive investors are reacting to it. Uh, the question is, are they reacting in a positive manner or a negative manner, right? Like, are they um, scared? Are they doing things that maybe they shouldn't be with their, doing with their portfolios and so on? Uh, it seems like, for the most part, that um, passive users, at least, have reacted pretty well to it. They've taken this as an opportunity to rebalance their portfolio. Um, they've taken it as an opportunity to um, basically, uh, a lot of them have decided, okay, well, I have this cash setting aside. Now is a good time. I'm going to buy the dip and I'm going to invest at this point, right? And, you know, whether or not that's a good strategy overall, like you're trying, you know, you're catching a falling knife whenever you try to invest in a dip. Uh, but it also means you're getting a better price than you would have a week or two before, you know? So it seems to me like they've done a pretty good job at reacting to it. And um, we don't, we don't like look at individual accounts or anything like that, but we do have like overall assets invested statistics that we keep track of just to, um, get a sense of like well how much money is is uh, being managed with our tools and so on and uh there was a pretty there was about um, a 15 percent dip um from our our highs like prior to the pandemic there was about a 15 percent dip in the um aggregate amount of money that was being managed by passive um however by now it's gone right back up Mm. so it seems like whatever people are doing in their accounts they've actually managed pretty well through this Pandemic and um, they're for the most part back where they started, which is super interesting. Um, I mean, if you if you had asked me, um, you know, a month or two ago whether or not that would be the case, my answer would have been like, oh no, you know this this is going to be a long haul, um, you know, recession, and it's going to go on for a year or two. We don't even know when people are going to be able to go back to work. We don't know if schools are opening in the fall, right? Like, we don't know any of that. And there was just so much uncertainty that it was basically impossible to predict how it was going to go. Right now, everything looks optimistic, but um, you know, may, maybe this is also a, <laughs> a, uh, a trick. Maybe it's just a, a result of the amount of uh, money that the U.S. Federal Reserve has been, been printing and pumping into the market. It's really hard to say, and it's not for me to say. It's not for individuals, people to say. It's kind of like, well, you had a plan. Now is the time for you to decide whether you're gonna stick with it, you know. And honestly, it shouldn't even be a decision. It should be like you made that plan, you should stick with it. That is the whole point of having a plan, you know.
0: Right. Right. And I mean, we knew this was gonna happen, not in the sense of we knew COVID was gonna happen, but we knew even if you to start investing, you know, five five years ago, ten years ago, you knew there was gonna be another <coughs> correction. Of some sort. There's gonna be another crash. There always has been. It's not like, oh, we're in a 10-year bull market. It's gonna continue indefinitely, right? So mm-hmm. so we yeah. knew there was a drop gonna come. We just didn't know what it was gonna be from. Turned out it was it was COVID. And so now it's kinda yeah, right out of
1: left field. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody saw that. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I mean now it's kind of a, a time where you get to to see, okay, how how's my asset allocation now that I've actually experienced that dip, how was I able to sleep through it? Was I stressed out? Was I uh, freaking out. So yeah, I think it's a good good reflection time for for investors to see because mm-hmm. I remember too. Like I'm I'm 30, turning 36 this year, and I remember one of the you know some of the you know older investors that are like you know in their 50s, and you know they would say things like, oh well. You, you you young guys, you, you and girls, you don't you don't you've never really experienced like a, you know a gigantic decline, right? Cause you know, when two thousand eight happened, you were maybe like fresh, like in my case, I was fresh out of school when like you know, my my mm-hmm. first job uh, when two thousand and eight happened. Uh, you know, and so I didn't have like a giant portfolio by, at that time. <laughs> so I never actually got to see a large sum of money drop that significantly, right? And so the I I've seen this argument made frequently by sort of the more uh, older investors saying well you got you think you can be heavy in equities but you don't really know because you've never experienced such a big decline so how do you know that you're not going to just sell it all and freak out when it actually does happen right and so i remember that was weighing on me quite a not not a lot but it was definitely in the back of my head saying okay i know like i've done all the risk assessments and all that and i know i can handle my allocation like theoretically but it's never actually i've never really truly been tested right because we've never had a 30 percent drop in my you know in my investing history or whatever right um so this is kind of i guess for anybody that's You know, younger listening that didn't have a giant portfolio when when two thousand eight happened. Now you know how you react to these things, right? Now you know your temperament, your personality as an investor, whether you truly believe in you know long term investing or whether you just need something more conservative. Um, So no, I I think that's um, I think at least that's one thing that I it's a bit helpful, right? Um, To kind of like the self knowledge and self awareness
1: yeah absolutely um one of the things that that surprised me um i mean well not with this recent um, uh, market crash but you know previous ones and not not even like regular stock markets but like cryptocurrency markets are an excellent example um is like just how psychologically stressful it can be when you see how much money you lost and even if it's not a real loss even like a paper loss can be very um very distracting you know so um I, I got like my story, part of my story of getting into investing is like I had Bitcoin back in the day. Um, so in 2010, I thought, you know, I found out about Bitcoin and I thought, hey, this is like really cool and interesting. And like, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a nerd. I'm like, well, you know, this is cool. I'd like to contribute to this. This is like an open source project. It's a community. It's a movement. I'm going to mine some coin. This is going to be cool. And so I did that for a while. I mined some. I bought some. I traded for some. And in the end, I ended up with um, I had a few hundred Bitcoin at one point. Nice. Yeah, which was which was worth almost nothing back in the day, right? Right. right. So you know, my my like total cost of like getting that many Bitcoin was like four (laughs) hundred dollars or something. You know, like it was it was
0: nothing. Yeah.
1: yeah. And in in the time between you know twenty ten and now, there's been like I think. Three major like uh pumps and crashes in the bitcoin and not just Bitcoin, but you know cryptocurrency as yeah. a whole, and all of them are really bad you know like the, it's not like you you see like a twenty percent drop it's like you know the markets will often change by ten or twenty percent on a daily basis it's it's pretty common it's it's I almost look at the cryptocurrency markets as like this weird super amplified version of the regular markets where everything <laughs> yeah. happens on faster time <laughs> scales, and it's so much more severe. Yeah. So the first crash um, that I experienced was after, um, uh, let me see, this was in 2011 or 2012. I can't remember the exact dates. It was one of the earlier ones, but like the price of Bitcoin had gone up to like $36. And I had made several thousand at that point. I, you know, my money had gone up like almost 10x. And I was, you know, I, I was thinking, yeah, you know, I did a really good job at this. I'm super smart, right? And then the bottom fell out of the market and it went down below, where I had even gotten in, right? So uh, where, where at one point I had, you know, I was up 500% and then, um, you know, just a few weeks later, I was now down at like minus 50% relative to where I'd gotten in. And if, you know, you look at that relative to where you got in and 50% is a pretty bad loss, right? Yeah. When you look at it compared to what the peak was, and that's what everyone compares themselves to is the peak. Oh, if I had only sold at the peak, right? That's like 90% losses. <laughs> like, it's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> And that's stressful. And then that happened like two or three more times um, as I, you know, kind of gradually sold, and as the price went, I kind of gradually sold. So I didn't actually end up with that many bitcoins at the end mm-hmm. of it. But um, you know, it 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 was like a learning experience for me on just how painful it can be to see your your wealth evaporate, even when it wasn't really real wealth to begin yeah. with. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah, it's funny. I have a friend who got in pretty early with the bitcoin, and he's just the volatility of it has made him so numb to volatility. So I remember, <laughs> yeah. I just because it's so relative, I know what you're used to. So I remember talking to him like, oh man, the market just fell, you know, 5%. And he's like, 5%? He just kind of just shrugs that off because he's like, like, with Bitcoin, I'm used to like double digit declines and increases <laughs> over like a day, you know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's pretty, it's interesting how it's so, it's all relative, right? And what you're used to and, and, and your psychology and however, you know, whereas there's some people, right? Where they see their, they see like a 2% drop in a day and they could be panicking. Right. So it, it, yeah. 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 <laughs> Hence all those uh, so- risk assessment questionnaires. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's great training. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so just so you know, this can happen and it does happen. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, let's talk about a bit about market speculation. So as we're yeah, recording this, we, we've seen a massive drop in the market due to COVID nineteen. And then now recently we've seen a very rapid recovery. And so just from the conversations that I've been having, it seems like some people are speculating that we're gonna have another large drop, while others are in the belief that the worst is already over. So How do you personally invest? How do you deal with this kind of speculation? And what do you think we should do when we get a hunch? And I'm using air quotes here, you know, like a hunch (laughs) that the markets are going to go up or they're going to go down in the future. I mean, I think we all maybe get these hunches from time to time. You know, how how do you deal with it? How do you what do you think is the best way to approach this kind of thing?
1: Uh, I personally am not good at predicting where markets are going to go at all, and like I know this because. I've tried to do it. I've also like done like paper things where I've said, you know, like wrote a note to myself. Like I think the markets are overvalued and will decline below this level by X date. Right. And like, it's, I kind of test myself on this and I'm always wrong. It always does the opposite of what I say. (laughs) So, you know, in terms of like steps I would, I would take to approach it. Number one, I would say, ignore it. (laughs) Number two, if you can't ignore it, try doing the opposite of what you feel
0: like. (laughs) It's
1: just, it's, me personally, I, I have a really uh, hard time um, having any sort of certainty about where things are going. And I've kind of learned that about myself. And so now I I know that and I kind of like factor that in whenever I'm, I'm feeling scared about something or, uh, you know, I think I've got this cool thing that nobody else has noticed. And the answer is you probably don't, you know, um, you think about you think about like the major, the major investment banks and, you know, they've got armies of of PhDs whose job is to like find these diamonds in the rough, which are, you know, undervalued companies or companies that are like, you know, um, have this like new product development on the horizon. That's going to fundamentally change the nature of their business. Like they've got people in there and they're finding about all of this stuff and they're placing their bets on that, you know, and they do it not, not just for like the big companies, but for like every publicly traded company. So there's not a lot of, uh, you know, diamonds in the rough that you can, you can find on your own, at least like being relatively sure that this this is what it is, you know? Um, So just, just knowing that and knowing that like, you know, even the big investment banks don't see massively outsized returns on their investments uh, makes it seem to me that like, for the most part, doing that sort of like in-depth research into companies, there's, you know, not a lot of money you can make as an individual. And um, so it's, probably better to avoid it now that said like people people like to invest in things they believe in you know um i think that's one of the big reasons why like tesla is so highly valued you know um if you think about what the what the company would have to do to ever really justify those valuations on a fundamental basis like they pretty much have to own the world automobile market
0: right um, well we, we had right? something similar but, happen uh, with the marijuana stocks in canada i remember not that long ago yeah, whether exactly, right, it happens, were so to, it happens high, to, like, that-
1: yeah, and I think it's, like, people being excited about it and um, seeing that, like, well, you know, this is something I believe in and I want to happen, and I don't, you know, they don't even do the fundamental math on whether evaluation is justified, they're just saying, I want to be a part of this, and so they buy mm-hmm. it, you know, and there, it's enough people doing that, that it inflates the value. Um, now, you know, obviously, fundamental analysis is not the only way to look at things, because if you look at, you know, there are lots of stocks out there that have essentially defied gravity for a decade. You know, it's like their <laughs> their consistent valuation is way higher than what should mm-hmm. be justified based on how much money they're making. But it stays up there; it doesn't go down. You know, so at what point do you say, well, you know, the markets are simply wrong, and they're always going to be wrong? Versus there's this extra thing, which is people's enthusiasm that you need to factor into it. You know, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah. and You mentioned the the banks with their their teams of PhDs. So I mean, they they have the staffing for it, and entire teams as opposed to you know you as one individual person, a solo show, trying to, you know, beat, beat someone, you know, make make the right bets. But they also have the, I'm sure they're probably spending millions on the different tools to analyze these different companies and, you know, all these different variables and all these different models that they have. So it's, yeah, just, just to reinforce the point that you're making about how difficult it can be to win, especially when you're competing against, Basically, these teams of PhDs who also have these massive resources, where they have data that we and models that we just don't have access to as regular retail investors, essentially, right? So, it's uh, it's pretty hard to to do that consistently, for sure.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, You know, on a more on a more broad sense, like you know, there's two sides of the speculative side of things. You can like speculate on individual stocks or you can speculate on the market as a whole. And that's like the concept of buying a dip, you know, like if there's a short term market correction, well, you know, maybe I should plow some extra money in or maybe I should I should have been holding back money all this time, ready to deploy it when that dip happens, you know. And that's also really hard to pull off because you don't really, you never really know when you're at the bottom of a dip, and you, it's it's hard to know when something is like really over like really truly overvalued and due for a correction versus no that's just the way things are going. You no. know, what, one of the examples I like to use is um, Alan Greenspan giving a, a talk about the dot com bubble back in 1996. So in December 1996, um, Alan Greenspan, who was the Federal Reserve Board Chairman at the time. So he gave a speech about the state of the stock market, and so this was um, it, it, you know, pretty much in the early days of the bubble. So the internet was new, but it was clear that it was like going to be a big, important thing, and everybody was super hyped up about it, and the market was just going bananas. And so he used this term called irrational exuberance to describe what he saw the market doing. He was basically saying there's too many people who are being irrational, and they think this is going to go bananas forever, and they think they're all going to get rich. And it was basically a comment to um, say that his opinion was that everything was way, way overvalued. But and this is the really interesting thing: if you look at the value of the U.S. market over time, uh, you, you look at like the value, like the aggregate value on the date that he made that speech, and you'll see that the value of the market has never been lower than that. Like it's never gone back down below that point. So even even when you know the Federal Reserve Chairman. Right tells you that everything is overvalued and this is bananas. Well, guess what? That was the, like, if you bought in at any later date, you'd be getting a worse deal.
0: (laughs) That's fascinating. Yeah, and this isn't some talking head on on the, you know, business news or whatever that's just speculating, uh, you know, because they have some money to make if you buy their mutual fund. I mean, this is... Alan Greenspan, I mean, a you know, reputable source in the, you know, in, in, in that field, right? Uh, and still, he yep. can be wrong. So, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So it just shows like how difficult it is to call a bubble. And you don't just have to call a bubble, but you have to be able to predict when it will crash and by how much it will crash. And you know, yeah, I mean, he did call it a bubble, and it turned out to be a bubble, but it never crashed down below <laughs> where he called it a bubble. Right, you know. Right.
0: Yeah. Well hence like before we were talking about dollar cost averaging um not in the sense of investing a giant lump sum but uh, but in the sense of where let's say you invest every single month with a portion of your paycheck and so I mean that to me I mean because no one can really predict these ups this, these downs these peaks these troughs really the only thing that kind of is within our control that we we can do is just consistently invest a certain amount, and that way you're going to be basically riding it, um, as opposed to just sitting on cash trying to time it. Because, well, you know, Alan Greenspan was able to get it wrong, <laughs> and so yep. and so was everyone. You know, no one people aren't able to call it uh, consistently. I am. Um, so, yeah, that, that's mm-hmm. that's the best way to do it, I think.
1: Yeah, that that actually ties in really well with uh, with our performance reporting page on passive, right? Um Like I was saying, uh, we we have. um We designed it to help you look at the things you can control versus the things you can't control. And so clearly you can't control what the market does. You know, that's kind of, that's an external thing and you want to try to benefit from that, but you can't control it. What you can control is how you invest. And better yet, you can control how frequently you invest and how much it becomes a habit. And so that's one of the guiding principles to how we designed this reporting dashboard is so that you can see how consistently you've been hitting your investing targets and um, just socking away that cash. And, you know, if you're doing that on a monthly basis, you're, you're dollar cost averaging. Like, you're already spreading the risk out over time um, and doing so in a way that pretty much guarantees you're going to do well, mm-hmm. you know, in a long enough time
0: frame. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have a thing where it says net change in terms of you know, your contributions. And so, yeah, it's easy to check, are you consistently investing? And it prevents you from maybe you know, trying to lie to yourself, like, oh, you know, <laughs> I've been doing fine. I've been contributing a lot or, or whatever. But then you look and you're like, oh, I've actually taken some money out and I never ended up reinvesting it and things like that. So it kind of helps keep you, I think, accountable as well, because these are actual numbers being pulled from your Quest trade account so it's all true it's all true <laughs> it's all true yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, I like how you guys show the cash balances too so when dividends get issued uh, you you show that basically what your investments are worth but also how much cash you have sitting in your account so when dividends are issued you know they show up as cash as I think most people know and so it's always nice you know you check your your balance and you say oh I've got Let's say a few thousand in dividends here uh, of cash now that just arrived in my account. So okay, let's let's invest that money. So I thought that was pretty nice too. Instead of having to like log into each account and say, okay, how much cash do I have in this one? How much you know cash does my wife or uh, or, or you know or husband have in their account after the dividends were issued? So I find that's pretty useful too.
1: Yeah, the the cash notifications were like one of our um, first features, like other than the basic calculations, but it was yeah. like being able to tell you when it's time to look at your account. And so we basically just check for new cash deposits or dividends. And when we see them, it's like fire off an email yeah. and it's time to come in, check your account and do yeah, something, about something. about it, you know? it.
0: Yeah, it kind of prompts you to, so no matter how busy life gets, you get prompted, hey, just you're sitting on cash now, go, go do something about it. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, and it only takes a few yeah. seconds, right? You log in, and it's like here's the button, all the trades are prepared, just that's push right. it and you're that's done. Right. You know?
0: It's a good bad uh, good thing to prevent procrastination, I find, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. I find that's really useful. And 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 as a total side note, it's nice to also I always like getting those emails because it's like, it feels like a mini Christmas, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> you love no one when you get paid. Because I mean, like, that's like the, the true passive income to me is, is, is investing, right? Like you don't actually have to work hours to earn that money. So when someone sends you an email saying, here's some money <laughs> that you don't actually have to work <laughs> hourly for in a job. Uh, that's always a good feeling. So <laughs> yeah, I get sure. these little, you know, these little. I get a smile every time I see it. It's like, all right, <laughs> it's nice. Um, okay, that that's great. Um, so so that's that's all that I had. Did you have anything else you wanted to to talk about or add or anything like that?
1: Uh no, that's that's pretty much it. Like, uh, I really enjoyed our conversation.
0: Awesome. Oh, actually, no, I just have one question. Um, just total side note. So, with how you personally invest, do you just do total broad market index investing or have you found, do you actually focus on, because you know how the the Canadian market isn't necessarily the most balanced in terms of, you know, industry diversification, mm-hmm. do you tweak your portfolio a bit so that you're more represented or do you just go with a total broad market index?
1: Um, I follow, um, a couch potato portfolio. So, um, you know, Dan use Canadian okay, yep. couch potato stuff. Um, it's not the, not the current one. The current one is basically say just, you know, buy one of the all in one ETFs, right. which, um works and it's easy and whatever right uh, but i'm following one that uh, was published in 2017 i think and that was the one that recommended uh, like all the vanguard funds it was like um so it was basically the uh vanguard canadian index vanguard canadian bond index and vanguard's um world index minus canada okay and so that kind of gives like the geographic separation so that we can consider well everything else and then here's the canadian component mm. and so on right gotcha um, so, I, I basically started following that years ago and I just stuck with it. And, you know, there have been tweaks to it since then, but um, I've never really followed the tweaks because this works really yeah. well. There's almost no point in changing it. You For know? sure.
0: That's what I find too when people ask me, like, oh, did, are you buying these totally new set of ETFs every year or something like that? And it's like, well, no, it's not like, These ETFs have become flawed in some way. I mean, you you can just hold them and just keep buying them. Um, Yeah. So no, and I invest in the same way. I buy the individual ETFs as well, and then I make sure they go in the right accounts so that you know they're most tax efficient and all that. So um, yeah. So that's so we yeah we both invest in the same way. I'm trying to get in a habit of asking guests how they personally invest because then, you know, we talk about theory and what we've, the research we've read and what we do, but then it's like, okay, when the rubber hits the road with your own hard money, how do you actually personally do it? Uh, so, but it's, yeah, it sounds like you pretty much do with this, um, same sort of overall strategy, uh, investing style as what I do. So very cool. Awesome. Awesome. Great. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Brendan. Oh, well, thanks for having
1: me. I really appreciate it. Cornell
0: all right thanks for tuning in i definitely encourage you to try out passive as all the premium features are now free if you're a quest trade user like myself uh, then basically you get all of them and and, i mean it's great the reporting functionality is fantastic the time saving tools are just amazing i'm just i've been a big fan now using them for quite some time and now i'm just absolutely hooked on the reporting functionality they added because it gives me such good insight in terms of how my investments are doing and how much i can expect in dividends and all of that it's just really really awesome so you know big shout out to them and, and thanks guys for for building such a great tool. Uh, so yeah, just to give you a bit of a recap in case you aren't sure how to get all those premium features for free, uh, first got to go to getpassive.com, you sign up for the free account and then you just follow the prompts to connect your Questrade account to Passive and then basically just accept the upgrade offer that's presented and then you're all set uh, so, so very very straightforward, if you're an existing Quest Trade user, you go to getpassive.com, so remember that's getpassive without the E at the end, uh, or if you have trouble remembering that, just go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash passive, that will automatically take you there too uh, and then yeah, sign up for free at Passive, you go to the settings tab and in a subscription panel you'll see there you can click a button to get the free upgrade so uh, yeah they made it pretty easy but yeah whether you're a new quest trade user or a new passive user or not you know you're basically able to get everything now for free whereas you couldn't get that before so uh so awesome uh, and definitely you know don't forget as well to sign up to the Wealth of canada newsletter so i can send you my pdf on the other tools that i like to use for my finances and my investments and so that i can send you free tickets to the canadian financial summit happening this September, where I'm bringing on over 25 Canadian personal finance experts to help you retire early, invest better, lower your fees, pay less in taxes, and help you learn the best practices when it comes to personal finance and investing so that you can hit that financial independence number years earlier. So that's all free as well. And really just to get that, to get the tickets when I release them and to get that guide immediately, just sign up anywhere over at buildwealthcanada.ca. All right. So that's all. Have a good one. Take care. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca.